going into those places where people have lost the point of why this policy is here. We want to make sure that we greet everybody who comes in um, kind of in this tone, just so they, they're acknowledged and whatever, whatever the situation is. Um, so like I, I've, I've seen that and, you know, think about any companies you've dealt with, like you just know that they're reciting something. They don't actually mean it. They, they, they don't, you know, maybe they don't even care. Welcome to 33 Tangents, a weekly podcast featuring a rotating panel of co-hosts that all work together in the same company, but live in different areas of the world. The discussions cover a wide variety of topics from digital analytics to working remotely to current happenings in business and technology. Our regular day-to-day conversations often go off in various directions, and the goal of this podcast is to share our ideas and find new ways to engage with others. Friday afternoon, um, the, the the Greater Philadelphia RV show kicks off tomorrow. So Friday afternoon, mm. we're going to go take a ride up and check it out. Because in my grand plans, like in about two years, I want us to buy a travel trailer mm-hmm. and start taking road trips. So I'm like, now's the time to start gathering ideas and checking like out when, what's out when there. You, when you pull or when you drive? When you pull. Okay. Because I also want to get a new truck sometime mm. in the next year. Um so we'd have that with you know so the, something I could tow it. I mean, I have a truck now. It's just the cab is too small um, because I only have like the little jump seats in the back. Mm. So it's either me and the kiddo with him sitting in the back yeah. and the passenger seat pushed all the way up or someone's watching the kiddo and it's my wife and I are another passenger with the seat pushed back. Mm. So it, it, it's worked for, you know, it's worked up until now. But yeah, later this year, I want to get a new truck with the full cab. So then we can, we can pull something, but like we, we've, we've spent a lot of time talking about taking advantage of, of her taking off, taking a leave of absence from work. Uh, they, the, they have the family leave of absence where you can, you'll be guaranteed a position in the school district up until your time, your child is five, mm. you know? And then if she decides to stay home after that, then she's no longer guaranteed. But like right now, if she wanted to go back, she doesn't have to go through the full reapplication process. She can immediately start looking at open positions. Got it. But like taking advantage of that, taking advantage of my flexible work arrangements and start taking road trips. Yeah, that would be amazing. That would be amazing. So, and you're, and you're going to have to take trips because I think once you upgrade the truck, I don't know about there, but here, once you upgrade the truck, you're going to have to be helping friends move. You're going to be running down to the Home Depot to pick up stuff for neighbors that are working I already on do that. projects. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I already do that. I'm I'm one of the friends with a truck. Yeah. yeah. That comes with the territory. Yeah. So, yeah. So so that that's what we've got planned. I, I it's we're not buying anything right right now, but my my thought process is is start doing your research now. So, yeah. in 2 years, you know, Go kind of have and an idea. and I'm going to get excited. Yeah, exactly. And start to kind of think about what, what we could do, because I think I've mentioned to you, I don't know if I've mentioned it on the podcast, but we've kicked around the idea of when our son turns like around 10 years old or so, you know, that fourth or fifth grade year doing a year of homeschooling 
and doing just a series of road trips throughout the year. And the road trips being tied to, you know, the education process. Mm -hmm. That's such a cool idea. Yeah. You know, I think that that would be really fun. Like I think of like, you know, some of the national parks out West. Yeah. Um, you know, while we're driving, like here's books to read. It's not just all tablet time. It's here's books to read. Here's things to, to look into for when we get there. And then, you know, what did you learn in preparation for coming here? And then what did you learn from the visit? Uh, I'm a huge fan of that in, in uh, junior high. And I, and I think maybe my mom just want, didn't want me around the house maybe, but uh, uh, in the summers I took summer school but it was not in class summer school. It was like de destination based. So there were some classes leading up to it. It's like, you know, one week we may learn about geology or fossils and another week we may learn about like fluid dynamics or something. And then we would go to some destination to kind of wrap that learning into place. So when we, the week where we studied fossils, we went up to a canyon that has some striation layers that you know any any kid can wander around and pick up rocks and probably you're going to find some kind of a you know fossil of a plant or a little fish or something um and then one one week we were studying erosion by water and we went up to one of the universities that has this large water lab where they model like different flows and so they it's the the building is built on top of a river and they kind of part some of the river through to run through the building. And then they have these different models where the water, water flows through and they model like, you know, dams and different things. And it's like some of those classes are, the, I still remember them pretty, pretty uh, vividly to this day. You know, they were, cause it, it gave you that opportunity to take the classroom stuff. And it's like, Oh wait, this is like actually something in real life that I can attach to. It was really exactly. cool. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's kind of like the part of the dream yeah. you know, in six or seven years to do something like that. Super fun. Well, that will be a fun weekend. Checking out some trailers. Yeah. Yeah. It, it'll be fun. Yeah. So, you know, I figured get, get up there Friday afternoon before it really kicks off for the weekend. Where's it? Where's it at? Uh, well, it, they, they call it the greater Philadelphia. So it's not downtown it's actually up near where my sister lives okay. that way they have a big convention center up there so it's up near king of prussia right past king of prussia it's a town called oaks and yeah they call it the greater philadelphia convention center and uh whatnot but yeah it's about 45 minutes outside the city It looks like the mall still exists there. Is there a dead mall there? King of Prussia? Yeah. No, no, no. It is oh. incredibly active. They actually just renovated a couple years ago. And it's funny. So I used to work up in that area. And, you know, one of the, the, the things, like, when people come in to visit or, or stuff, like, I'd always have, like, one of those icebreaker things to kind of get, you know, just to talk to people is, is while the Mall of America in Minnesota has the, the largest amount of square footage. And this is, I mean, I'd have to check to see if this is still accurate. I haven't looked it up in a couple of years. But the Mall of America has just the, the largest raw square footage. The King of Prussia Mall in the U.S. 
has the or in the US, the, the King of Prussia Mall in you know in this area right outside of Philadelphia has the most retail square footage in mm. the US. Okay. Well, I must have heard it from some somewhere else. Um, and maybe it was another mall video I was watching, but not. I, I watched these series on dead malls where people go toward these like dead and abandoned malls. Um, but it may it must have been some other thing. So anyway. Uh, well, there was another mall closer to, to me where I live. The King of Prussia Mall, depending upon traffic, is 30 to 45 minutes, even an hour away. Um, I mean, it's not I mean, it's not crazy to get there, but there was one that much closer that like we go to when I was a, a kid, like that's where my parents would go shopping. Um, it closed six years ago, seven years ago now. Um, and right before it closed, I actually went out to go check it out. Mm. And it was the weirdest thing. It was so quiet there. Yeah. Like this is maybe about a month before it closed. There were still some stores open. There were still some yeah. holdouts to the very end. Like I got talking to the guy who worked at uh, GNC and he's like, we're not leaving until the lease is up and the lease is up the day the mall closes. So we're here. We're starting to yeah. ship out inventory to other stores, but we're here. Yeah. Uh, so there were a few holdout stores at the very end, but, and it was still open. Like people were still, mm -hmm. you know, people were still selling stuff, mm -hmm. but it was so quiet that the escalator was loud. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, the yeah. HVAC, they actually, because the way the mall was, is there was three anchor stores. And then think of it almost like you had two and then one coming up this way. And then you had the center, the center area. And in the middle of the mall, they had actually turned off the HVAC there mm -hmm. because nobody was there. Um, one of the anchor stores they demolished when they demolished the mall. One is still working, and then they just announced the other anchor store, which is a Sears, which has been there for as long as I've been around. Uh, that is actually going to now close. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 spooky, man. Those are the videos I'm watching. So there's a bunch on there where people break into closed down malls and and tour them. But the ones I've been watching lately are the Dying Mall series, where it's like three stores in this massive mall and it's the whole mall's open, but just three stores in there. So, yeah. you know, it's just this really like surreal type of, they're fun. Like I'll, I'll send you the link. Cause one of the guys I did find someone did do it on YouTube. You know, they went out and actually recorded it right around the time that I went out, walked it just one more time to just, Hey, I mean, we go out there one more time before it closes and I'll send you the link to to this particular mall. Okay. Yeah. You know, they they demolished it and they turned it more into like the the boutique, like town center kind of setup. Yeah. Well, I'm interested to see how you're going to spin this into our topic today. Well, I was looking. Yeah, we're 15 minutes in already, and for our 200th episode, we've been talking about dead malls and camping <laughs> trips. <laughs> is this our 200th episode? This is to our 200th episode. That's crazy. It is. It's nuts. That is crazy. Um, well, congratulations to us. Yes. Yes, indeed. Um, so what I want to do for, for this particular episode, and, you know, we were kind of talking about it earlier um, with, like, you know, me wanting to use my work flexibility to, to do some road trips and, and whatnot. Um, I want to continue our discussion about like being active in the ownership and management of a business, continue that thread. And the episode two weeks ago where we kicked off this topic, you had made mention of, you know, not trusting, trusting employees. Mm -hmm. And there's a couple different ways we can spin that. 
the first thing is, is like I said, like I, you know, my goal in a couple of years is to leverage our flexibility and work from the road at times. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, and you don't trust your employees. It's not something that's available to do it. So there's that, but then there's two things I want to kind of discuss in that vein. The one is, is a very broad, almost rhetorical question of, if you don't trust your employees, why do you hire these people and retain them? Mm-hmm. But then two, one of the ill effects of not having a relationship with your employees where you can trust them is the over-operationalization, yeah. if that's even a word, it, it uh, of be. things. If it's not, yeah, it should be. Yeah. But the over-operation, now I can't even say it, that <laughs> of, of things so that you, you suck any kind of humanity out of the interactions with customers. So some very broad statements to get us started, but let's start with the rhetorical question. Okay. If you don't trust your employees, if you don't think you could trust someone, why would you hire them? Or if you don't trust them, why do you retain them? I think it's a complicated question. Um, and, and I think it, it really depends on, on the business, but having been at fairly large companies and very small companies, um, I, I think there's a, a couple things in play. So if you have the small and this kind of, um, this kind of plays into the, uh, owner operated, uh, uh, conversation that we've been having the last couple of weeks that, that, that also can potentially be very negative in that oftentimes when you're so involved as an owner, it's very personal. And, and I've been around businesses that have been over owner operated where the owners have so much invested in it that they don't feel that like anyone else that isn't an owner can bring the level of commitment that is required. So just by default, there's a, a huge mistrust simply because of this ownership dynamic. And and that that tends to be the case more often in smaller businesses where the owners are, are very closely involved, not all the time, because on the opposite side, having an owner directly involved can be an incredibly valuable um, thing that creates really good experiences with trust. So it just comes down to the owner. So I think that's, that's a scenario where it happens. We see it happening a lot of times at bigger companies. And I think the belief there is that they've grown to such a size that maybe they did start by hiring people they trusted, but they've grown to such a side size that they've had to make concessions and say, yeah, you know, we've just ran out of the good people. So we just have to hire other people that aren't as good because we need the work done. And so in order to, to protect ourselves from that, we'll wrap all of these procedures and operationalization of things around what we do because we can't really trust them. And that's where we have the conversations where, wow, we have all these really smart people. We hired a bunch of people we trusted, but at some point in time, we've decided that it's just going to be most efficient for us to manage to the lowest common denominator. So I don't think it's an, again, I don't think it's a very clear discussion. And, and, and I don't think I I have a hard time believing that hiring managers are out there saying, we're going to just hire people we don't trust. Um, It it may be in the back of their mind, but I think they truly believe that um, they're, they're hiring maybe a lower caliber of an employee in order to help 
put some guard guardrails in place that they can bring them in. But I don't think they're directly thinking I'm hiring someone I don't trust, but maybe they are. And that would be, that would be a crappy place to be. <laughs> I think really it's more subconsciously most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. And th- that's why like, I kind of framed it in like a rhetorical way. Like <laughs> I don't think people are like, Oh, I can't trust this person. So, but I'm going to hire them anyway. But I and yes, this is not an easily answerable question. It's one that's going to be debated. And I don't even think we can come to a conclusion. Yeah. But I do believe there is a level of, yeah, either, you know, a, you know, measuring to the lowest common denominator or just assuming that there's times we're just not going to be able to, to trust them. And maybe trust isn't the, the, the proper word, but yeah, there are just times we need to hire a warm body. We just need bodies in here. So so we're going to go with that. Yeah, it's not an explicit like I don't trust this person. It's I don't know. I, yeah, I, and and I don't know. I think is a good word to to describe it because I think that's what happens a lot is that you have hiring managers or other managers that are being held responsible for for the performance of their team, but they're in a position where they have they don't know. Like I don't know what is good performance. I don't know. You know, it's not like. It's not like I have an easy statistic where it's like wins and losses that I'm kind of being measured against. You know, a lot of these teams, it's very nebulous as far as what does good team performance look like. And so oftentimes when that's the case and you have a manager that says, I just don't know, what's the default for measuring performance? It's it's asses and seats, right? So it's, you know, as long as I can ensure that Jim's sitting in his de- in his chair typing something you know, from nine to five, then I'm going to count that we're doing a good job as a team. You know, it's, it's lazy, it's uninformed, but that's what a lot of managers do. And that's where I think a lot of that quote unquote mistrust comes into to play. And that's where you see things like attendance policies and, you know, you, you have to be here at this time and you can't leave before that time. And you have to be at your seat, you know, at certain hours during the day. And, you know, you can only go to lunch from 12 to one. Like that's where we see those type of policies start popping up where it's really just a measurement of how long does it, how long does it appear like my employees are working? (laughs) That becomes the measure. Did you see that class action lawsuit recently against Apple? No, uh, on the the retail store side. Um, I, God, like again, the first two months of this year, I completely lost time there. It was toward the end of last year, beginning of this year. Um, there was a class action lawsuit that I believe has been settled, but it was current and former retail employees suing Apple for for time that they should have been paid. So the the you know, you had to like any bags you bring into the store manager had to check you're going out to lunch manager had to check if you had a bag with you and what's in the bag mm. you're leaving manager had to check the bag. Like this is part of the pr- procedure, regardless of the employee, everybody's bag has to, to be checked. Problem was, is you had to clock out first and then had to wait for the manager. And what people were saying was, is that a manager wasn't always readily available I couldn't have my bag checked before I clocked out. So I clocked out and sometimes I'd you know, have to wait around five minutes. So I'd lose lunch breaks because you get a certain amount of time for, for lunch breaks. And then I can't leave because this is company policy. So technically I'm still on the clock and yeah, like this uh, bit of over opera, uh, opera, you know, <laughs> um, over opera, 
operationalization of things there. God, I, 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 this is going to be you coined the term and now I coined the tyrant term and I can't even say it. Um, so of course, you know, as we're recording it, I could say it all morning as I was you know, putting my <laughs> notes together, but we go to record, you know, I can't say the word, but you have all these procedures in place to, to check everything before employees leave, they're coming, they're going, but then it kind of came back to bite them mm-hmm. because yeah, there, there was a massive class action lawsuit filed. Hmm. Yeah. I didn't see that. I think, I think the other side of that coin is also that those things tend to happen not by design, meaning I think a lot of the, what we see as mistrust and operationalizing and red tape of employees is not a conscious decision that management sits, sits down with and says, okay, how should we think about how we engage with our employees? I, I just don't think that happens. What ends up happening is you have a cluster of events and sometimes maybe even one event that happens and then management scrambles and they say, okay, we have to plug that, you know, hole in our defense system and put a new policy in place. So at Apple, I'm guessing someone was, you know, stealing goods and selling them on eBay Mm -hmm. or something. And so rather than addressing kind of the larger, why is this happening? It's a, okay, well, let's put this new policy in place that we're going to scan, you know, bags as people go in and out. And I've seen it all over the place where sometimes it it really is an an issue. And sometimes it's like a one-off happened and now all of a sudden we have a new policy because, you know, someone did something stupid. And so now we have a policy in place to protect that one thing from ever happening again. And then before you know it, you have this whole dictionary, this like massive, you know, collection of rules that we have to live by that are reactionary responses to some event happening in the past where we said, well, that wasn't ideal. (laughs) And again, instead of like, thinking about it from a cultural standpoint or why did that happen? It's a, well, let's just put in a policy so that doesn't happen again. Yeah. And honestly, I think that's what it is more times than not a reaction to one thing that happened that becomes another policy and then you're, you're overburdened with it. Yeah. Because there are times like I do, I see stuff just every day and it's like, what did one person have to do to get this, this thing created or this warning label on, on a product. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen those as well. I'm like, I wish I was there for when that thing happened that caused that sign to go up because that sounds interesting. Exactly. (laughs) And, and yeah, like, you know, when you start to have this, like it, 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 it removes any kind of judgment call employees can make. Yeah, you know, like you know, yeah. any kind of judgment call, whether it's customer facing, you know, employee only, you you can't make a judgment call. No. Everybody's treated the same. Everyone has to respond like robots. Um, and this is the policy. And you know, like again, not the not not looking to the spirit of the policy, but you know, just adhering to the letter of it. Yeah, yeah, and and again, it's 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 putting in these these policies for a lot of times edge cases and sometimes it may be slightly larger but to your point it's we're 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 removing the autonomy of people to evaluate and use their their best judgment and sometimes it may be the right call sometimes it's just kind of silly i want one example that i often think of so you know lots of lds missionaries around here um on the old street i lived on it had to be like seven in the morning I lived on a dead end road, like no traffic, just quiet street. 
um, I see this car backing up and I see another, you know, young kid behind the car, like doing like these hand motions, like, like he was guiding an airplane, you know, like, <laughs> and, and I was like giggling and I went over and I said, what, what what's going on here? And I said, oh, well, yeah, I think there were a couple incidents where, you know, missionaries back their car into another car or something. And so now there's a new policy in place that if we have a car and someone's backing out, that one has to be backing in one. And then we have the, these set motions to help back out of the drive. I'm like, literally, this is a dead end road. It's seven in the morning. There is no one here. And it's like, yeah, but we have to, it doesn't matter. Like we could be on a deserted Island and we're the only car. Like, you know, this, this is the, the process and the procedure. Right. And so again, like sometimes it's just, eh, you know, like we just need to go through this every time. And there are times where that makes sense, right? Like where there's repeatable tasks, where it makes sense, you know, we're in food production or we have like a production line and we go through our quality assurance tests, you know, we want that repeatable and we go through that fine, you know, that makes sense. There are other things where it's just like, you know, you're kind of, you're being silly, like, okay, guidelines, sure, but you have to give your employees some autonomy to read the situation and evaluate how to use the tools and the frameworks and the guides that you put in place for them to, to make good informed decisions. Uh, if, if you don't, then you you literally paralyze the business and you create an environment where employees just feel childish, just feel like, what am I really? Like I'm not trusted. I I, I was at a company once and it, it never it never came to fruition, but we were we were growing quite rapidly. And we hired a process engineer that had worked for I want to say UPS for like 30 years or something. And his role was to come in and basically do this, like evaluate everything we did as a company and then put together a checklist for how we do everything. And within his first month there, we all received, I kid you not, I'm looking to see if I have one that's of size. I, I don't, we, we got this binder. It had to be, you know, six, eight inches thick of three ring binder, full of pages with the little tabs that note different sections on how to do everything from use the bathroom to make, to place a telephone call to how we send an email, like every little minute detail of what we could do in our job. We had a detailed checklist for how that was to be completed. It was mind boggling that we went that far. Mm -hmm. Um, and I mean, I, I have a couple thoughts on that and, you know, overall, like opera, you know, operationalizing things, you know, is not always a bad thing. No. You know, I think like, you know, you, you've told me like, like you, you've got some, some people with aviation backgrounds in your family and, you know, you have some experience there. My, my father-in-law, uh, has his pilot's license and, you know, you've talked about like the checklist pilots mm -hmm. have. Not a bad thing. Actually, probably right. a good thing. I right. mean, people's lives are on the line here. Mm -hmm. um, not a a bad thing to have to like, let's make sure we've checked all these things and we just don't like, you know, happen to overlook something someday that actually turns out to be critical. Yeah. Not a bad thing. You know, that's actually probably, a, you know, a very, very good thing. But yeah, we're talking about the stuff that you're, you're you know, you're talking about like things where it isn't that critical that you've now just kind of dumped everything down to an item on a list to, to check off and, you know, you know, you're stifling creativity. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I agree with you. I think there's a, there's a pyramid of things where 
you have some very, very mission critical things at the top of that pyramid that you want operationalized for consistency sake. A- mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right. Like when we're, when we're doing things that are process oriented, you know, when we're releasing new code, when we're, you know, setting up a, a new AB test, when we're producing, like there are things where we absolutely want to go through that checklist. Did we do this? Did we do this? Did we do this every single time? Cause it's easy to forget those steps. You know, that, that isn't a, I, I think, I think the bifurcation is, is, are you putting in the operational checklist details as a tool to help the employee be more efficient, to be, to create higher quality? Awesome, right? Because we all do that. We all have kind of checklists and here's how we do A, B, and C in order to be more efficient and produce higher quality outputs. We do that all the time. I think that's completely fine. The problem is, is when you step over that line and say, well, the, the, those operational details aren't really about creating efficiencies. It's about ma- managing lack of trust, going back to the managing to the lowest common denominator. So it's not about putting in a checklist to ensure that we did all of the required steps in the right order. It's more about, well, we just don't trust Jim to make the right decision in general. And so we have to, t- we have to tell him how to do everything. Um, that, that's where I think it becomes highly, highly problematic. And, and again, if you're in an organization where you have a playbook where they where they say, if you are to make a telephone call, here's the script on how you have to do it. And wait a minute, I'm not even working in a call center. I'm just a manager at this company trying to manage a team. But now I have a script that says, you know, you have to say, if you answer the phone, you have to say, hello, my name is blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, never in a million years. Is that, is that making me a better person, better employee, more, you know, valuable employee? That is a, you don't trust us to be professional when we answer the phone. So you have to tell us how to do it. That's a problem. Yeah. It's like, think about any, any company that, that you deal with and some of the responses or greetings that you get. You can tell when it's been beaten into the employees, this is exactly what you say and what you only you say. So they're just following the letter of the procedure. I have to say greetings, you know, yeah. you know, greetings and welcome to X instead of, you know, being able to ad lib at times. Hey, how's it going? Nice day out. Like, and I mean, I do know of a couple stores that I go to from time to time. And you could tell like the greeting has been beaten into the employees and they, they're not, you know, they're not following through with like what the purpose behind it is, you know, like, yes, we want to make sure everyone is greeted, greeted. Yeah. Like, I, you know, my going back to my retail days, like 20 some years ago, they, they've said like a simple, like, hi, welcome. We're kind of busy at the moment, but someone will be with you soon, you know, solves a lot of customer issues right yeah. out of the gate, especially when you're busy, well, you know, it's- and, yeah. and the person you're working with is not going to have a problem with it. And it just makes the other person you know, realize, Hey, I've been acknowledged. Okay, great. Sounds good. Thanks. Instead of someone standing there, it's like, is there anybody around? Um, but like, right uh, before I got way too off topic, but you know, going into those places where people have lost the point mm-hmm. of why this policy is here. We want to make sure that we greet everybody who comes in um, kind of in this tone just so they they're acknowledged and whatever, whatever the situation is. Um, so like I I've, I've seen that and, you know, think about oh, yeah. any companies you've dealt with, like you just know that they're reciting something 
they don't actually mean it. They, they, they don't, you know, maybe they don't even care. Yeah. Well, it, and it's inauthentic, you know? Um, and, and so let's, let's talk about that a little bit because I think it's an important part of this conversation from giving employees a rigid, you must repeat these exact steps for everything you do versus uh here's what we're trying to create from an experience standpoint and here's some guardrails and here's some ideas on how you may want to do that and here's our culture and our values and we trust you to create an experience within you know that kind of system i think it's two completely different conversations and i i went out to eat at a restaurant and i'm i'm going to uh, substitute the name of the restaurant from office space in place of the actual restaurant i went to but you know i'm sure we've all had this experience like you're sitting there the waiter comes up and says, hey, welcome to Tchotchkes. My name is John. I'm going to be taking care of you today. If you look on our menu, we have our special down the left-hand side. Let us know, and I'll be back to get your drink order. I'm like, are you even acknowledging that we're sitting here? Like, you're just, you're on repeat. Like, it's burned into your brain that you've been told that this is your script you have to use to greet customers. It's inauthentic. It's cold. It doesn't. It doesn't create a connection, you know, and it's like, you can change that up and say, look, we're trying to create a really amazing experience for our customers that dine here, you know, be happy to greet them. And, and here's some things that you can talk about. Now we trust you go connect with people Two completely different things. Totally. And so, I mean, this movie, I enjoyed it. It's an enjoyable movie. Like, you know, you're, you're talking about office space. I have another movie reference for you. So we sat down over the weekend after we put the kiddo to bed, we're both tired. We're like, we just want to kind of watch a movie to just enjoy so we put on Ryan Reynolds' Free Guy. Have you seen previews for it? Nah. It's it, it's basically a non-player character from a video game becomes self-aware. So it's it's interesting. So he starts out like his mornings, he has his routine. He says the same things all the time. And then something triggers something in the algorithm for his character's code that all of a sudden he becomes self-aware and he becomes mm -hmm. artif artif you know, artificial intelligence. And, um, you know, you, you made me think of that too. He has his script until finally, like one day he wants to start going off script and his buddy from the game, his best friend from the game is like, no, you don't say that. We don't, we don't say that, you know, no, this is what we're supposed to do. I'm telling you, like, you, you just want something to, to zone out for, have some fun laughs with, go watch free guy. Okay. Again, like it's not. You know, it's not going to win any kind of major awards for being super deep, but it's funny. And I, again, found it enjoyable. Like, if it's something you're looking to to kind of escape with, go watch Free Guy. I'll go check it out. But, like, it's the same concept yeah. where you're talking about, you know, just the whole concept of non-playable characters from video games. They have their script. They say their script. They don't veer from the script. Maybe... You know, in a role-playing game, it's a character that asks you a question of one of three responses that, as the player, you can make, and then they'll have one of three responses or or something like that. But they don't veer from that, mm -hmm. and you that that's the exact image I have with some of these, you know, the, these companies where they over operationalize everything. See, I said it um, to mm -hmm. the point where the employees become non-player characters mm -hmm. in the experience that their customers are receiving. I love that analogy, by the way, because, yeah, I mean, that's it, right? 
Mm-hmm. Like they're they're NPCs. They just have their pre-programmed algorithm and they kind of do their thing and they have their set. Resp- yeah. I mean, that's it, right? Like that's what you're creating. And it's, it's a very dull and again, inauthentic experience, you know, yeah. I, so I, I follow this guy on YouTube. His name is Jelma NYC. He, uh, he's a, I don't know. He speaks a ton of different languages. Uh, and he, and he goes out to New York and other places and he'll go and he'll just, um, start speaking in, in the language of the, the store he's in. So like, you know, he's, he's, he's really got a strong grasp of, uh, like Chinese languages. Um, and it just shocks people like that this guy can so clearly communicate. Anyway, he, the last video I saw, he went to a Chinese restaurant in New York that had a drive through, um, and he ordered in Mandarin or, um, Cantonese, I can't remember, but he he ordered in Chinese, and then he pulls up to the window, and the people are just like shocked, like we thought you were Chinese, like you're this white guy, you know. Um, but think about if they were so drilled into here's your five responses you can greet, greet someone at a drive-through, it would have totally ruined this like amazing opportunity and experience that could have just happened for everybody because all they can say like here's your meal, you know, do what do you want do you want two packets or three packets of ketchup? Here you go. You know, it's like, trust your, trust your team, trust your employees to operate within the boundaries that define your culture, your values. Say, I trust you, you know, go do this within that framework. And I've seen it happen. And and in some of the most bizarre places you would never expect to see it happen in call centers, I've seen it happen rarely, but it's happened sometimes where I've called a call center and I'm like, this is not an NPC. Like this is a person that you can tell that they've been given some boundaries and have been trusted to solve a customer problem. And it is amazing. Yeah. Yes. You know, trust them and then don't overreact when something happens once or twice. Yeah. To go back to your earlier point, you know, adding on to what you were just saying just because something happens, don't immediately say, don't jump to, okay, we need something to prevent this in the future. Right. Again, I'll put an asterisk there saying there, there may be some cases where you need to, but don't always have your first reaction being, okay, how do we prevent this from, you know, happening again? We, we all what was, what was the driving force behind this event happening? That's the question you should ask. Yeah. I mean, I think there's several questions around that, that we should ask. And again, I think the default is always, well, let's put a rule in place so this doesn't happen again. And that's a recipe for failure. What what we should be asking is, you know, why did this happen? And sometimes it's just, we're human. None of us are perfect. We make mistakes. You know, was it an honest, genuine mistake? And, and, and we, we, we took care of it. All right, let it go. You know, was it a, no, this was a truly bad hire, you know, and we shouldn't have done that. Okay. Well, let's deal with that. A lot of times it's really management. You know, have we, have we given our team, the tools that they need to properly do this? Have we given them the right training? Have we made sure that they truly understand what our values are and, and our principles that we stand behind? As managers, we we never ask that question. And a lot of times it's on us. And, 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 it, and we lose that opportunity to say, wait a minute, we need to be doing better onboarding. We need to be doing better training. We need to have more productive one-on-ones with our team. And instead of saying that, we deflect, say, well, it's the employee's fault for sure. Let's put a policy in place so now that everyone has to go through these hoops because we don't want that to happen again. Did I ever tell you the story about the company I worked for several years ago? So, I mean, there was like, you know, a a, a bit of a work from home policy. Um, 
And mo- most most managers were like, hey, as long as I feel like you're getting stuff done, you can work from home. And, uh, you know, the, the, some were like, they, you know, I had my like two work from home days. N- normally, like Fridays were one of them because just the commute I would have like Fridays in the summer were brutal. So Friday was my work from home day. And after a while, I'm like, I am just getting way more done at mm-hmm. home. And I'm like, a lot of the stuff I can do, I can solve through. Like, I don't always need to be here. Mm-hmm. I can get my stuff done. And I went to my boss and I'm like, you know, wouldn't mind, you know, I would like to have, you know, basically come to the office two days a week. I'll structure things where I need to be in person. Say it's Tuesday and Thursday. I will make sure anything in person needs to be done I'll, those days. The other days I could do that. Like I can structure my week around that. And the answer was no. And the answer was no was because then other employees yeah. would want to well, be home. Yeah, you, know, you offer gym. So now everybody, you know, other people need to get it. And it can't be a, well, when he, the guy's working at home, he's working 10 hours. You know, like I was, like I was, you know, the, the, the time I would normally be commuting, I was still online and just, you know, you know, more or less getting home at the same time every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, but it was like, no, because there's another group that wasn't trusted as much and you know they would have to say yes to them instead of saying nah jim's work and whatever you know leans leans toward this and yeah it was managed to the entire group not saying yeah you could do it just don't broadcast it yeah yeah it's funny though isn't it that um if one person screws up, then they put a policy in place that everybody has to adhere to. But if one person does great, we, 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 you know, we, we, we can't have, we can't have that policy as a broad policy. It's like, well, wait a right. minute. We, we wait. Where? So if it's a negative, then it applies to everybody. If it's a positive, nope, it can't apply to everybody. It's like, yep. what's well, some weird logic you got going on there? Yeah. And like, you know, this is just, you know, something I could go on and on about because like it it gets into the whole idea of, you know, meritorious environments. Yeah. We, we award productivity and success and whatnot until it comes to things like this. Mm -hmm. Then it's like, nope, you know, got to go with, with, with the herd. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I think a a lot of these things we're, we're talking about are really representative of the, the the bulk of companies out there. And I think it's an amazing opportunity. And I'm not going to use the overused Silicon Valley term of disrupt. It's, it's an amazing opportunity for companies to do something different. Um, because when you do it, you don't have to go out of your way to advertise it, to like say, look at us, to like, you know, market it. Just operating differently, the people that you employ, the customers you interact with, like, they feel it, right? And they're like, this is amazing. This just feels different. This feels good, and I want more yeah. of it, you know? Exactly. It's a, it's a winning competitive advantage for sure. Yeah. And, again, I'll go back to when you do this for your employees, like when you set up an environment like this, you'll get happier employees. There's always an employee that will take advantage of it. So. Yeah. Now you just got to deal with those as a one-off, mm-hmm. but then those employees will feel, you know, will feel more motivated, honestly, to take care of your customers. Mm-hmm. They'll drive the customer experience for you. Mm-hmm. You don't have to tell them, make sure you say this. If you create the right environment Don't and 
you know, employees feel that they're trusted, they'll make sure that, you know, that they, they, they follow through on the experience that you want for your customer. hundred percent. And again, don't turn your employees into NPCs because no. that is the worst feeling. It's almost like, again, going back to like video games where it's like, yes, I've already talked to you 10 times. Come on, pushing the button to kind of like speed up the message. Yeah. Same thing. I can think of a few stores where I go in there. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I've heard this before. Let's, well, let's get to let's the point. It. Let's move along. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've heard yeah. this spiel, you know, for 10 years now coming into this store. Yeah. Tired and inauthentic. Yes. Yeah. Good stuff, man. Good stuff. Yeah. Good, good, fun conversation. Again, like yeah. this overall topic of just being involved in whatever your business is. Like these are things that these problems don't, or not problems, but these situations don't always require just another policy. That's when right. you're involved, that's you're right. able to find the, the, the root of it and a true solution for it. Yeah. And that's it really. That's the takeaway, right? Like the, the instinctual reaction to it to put some kind of protection in place for something going wrong is typically the wrong, the wrong path. It may ultimately be the thing we need to do, but not until we ask the question, why did this go wrong and evaluate and analyze and say, there's probably a hundred things that could have been not just this one thing that we got to put a safety gate in front of, right? It could be hiring exactly. problems. It could be management problems. It could be, we don't know until we ask the question. Exactly. Cool. I think that's a good spot to, to wrap up uh, this week. Sounds good. All right, man. Well, right. thank you much, and we'll catch everybody later. See ya. See ya. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of 33 Tangents. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review the show on your favorite podcast aggregator so others can find us. If you would like to reach us, you can do so by emailing podcast at 33sticks.com or on the web at 33tangents.33sticks.com. 33 Tangents is a production of 33 Sticks, an analytics boutique.